I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome once again to Light On, Light Through, episode 117. And apropos once again, in this episode, you'll hear once again the notorious Captain Phil interviewing me about my new music album, also about that fabulous Jeff Lynne concert in the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey that uh, my wife and I went to last month. Also, we talk about my new science fiction, and that includes Robinson Calculator, my new novelette, and the new issue of Amazing Stories, which should be coming out any week now, in which you'll find, amidst many other stories, my own story, the PNA. And to give you an idea about what that is, someone is driving south on the Taconic State Parkway here in New York State. And the person driving the car has just bought a new Prius. And in this new Prius, there's a brand new anti-collision feature. And a big storm suddenly appears, really tornado-level winds. It really puts the anti-collision feature to the test. And in fact, the driver's life is saved because the anti-collision feature yanks him into another dimension. So all of that was a lot of fun to talk about. We also talked about something that's not much fun to talk about, Donald Trump. Captain Phil and I always discuss the latest politics. And I just want to mention that this interview was conducted last week. So that was before the horrendous killings in El Paso, Texas and Dayton, Ohio that happened over the weekend. And so we don't discuss that. But I will, in a podcast I'll be posting soon, give you my views about what needs to be done to reduce those monstrous killings. And I can give you a preview of that by saying what doesn't need to be done is limiting violent video games. What doesn't need to be done is somehow bringing in government regulation of the Internet. There's one thing that needs to be done, and it's needed to be done now for decades, and that's limiting the number of these insanely effective semi-automatic weapons or weapons that are outfitted with devices that make them semi-automatic. No civilian has any legitimate reason for having a weapon like that. But you won't hear any discussion of that in the subsequent interview. That will be in another podcast. So now, what you'll hear next is Captain Phil, who starts out his interview with me by playing two songs that will appear on my new album. These are rough mixes recorded up in Batavia, New York, last October. The first one is Alpha Centauri, a song I wrote with Peter Rosenthal. And the second one is Samantha, a song I wrote all by myself. So enjoy. Enjoy. 
Kids 103. Captain Phil in for Chris Soroch here at WUSB Stony Brook. 90.1 FM and W297BM Stony Brook 107.3. I will be torturing you for the next 90 minutes. Paul Levinson calling in in just two minutes.
Samantha The singer himself is on the line Paul oh, Robinson, yeah. are you there my friend? No, no, no Oh yeah, no, I am actually here <laughs> <laughs> That's great You like listening to yourself over the phone or the radio? <laughs> Listen, I'm so egotistical I like listening to myself through any media <laughs> But uh, over the phone or the radio is great <laughs> uh, You know, uh, what I like to do is um, I like to uh, record my shows here at the station and then play them in my truck driving around. But it's always better um, when my wife or kids are trapped in the truck with me. Better in a long trip. And then... <laughs> well, that's absolutely... Well, trapped is the key uh, <laughs> yes. word there. That's the most reliable way to get listeners. <laughs> and I'm like... I'm like, uh, they're like, um, why are we listening to this? You did this live. And it's like, well, that's my favorite show. It's <laughs> a very good DJ. I, I really enjoy listening to him. He, he, he's got talent. Oh, uh, how are you, my friend? How is everything? Everything is great. I mean, you know, other than the political mess our country is in, that's not great, but, uh, I'm always optimistic, but, uh, we can talk about a lot of science fiction that I've just uh, published and all kinds of other things. So, Well, let's let's start with the fun stuff first, okay? okay. I played two tracks, um, Alpha Centauri mm-hmm. and Yeah, 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 No, 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 Samantha. Um, talk a little bit about that. Let's kick it off with that and uh, just refresh our listeners' memories here. We're listening to Paul Levinson, a media studies professor at uh, Fordham. Is, am, am I right? You're right. Fordham University classes start up in a couple of weeks. The, uh, I'm, I'm trying not to think about yes. that. Yes. So we'll talk about it. But, uh, well, okay, so here, you know, some background, as you know, and some of uh, your listeners may know. I did have an album that came out way back in 1972. It's called Twice Upon a Rhyme. When it first came out, it sold a negative number of copies. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But it uh, got rediscovered, really beginning in Japan, uh, around uh, you know, 1999, 2000. It showed up in a, uh, a pretty big magazine in Tokyo called Record Collectors Magazine. And uh, some people in Japan already knew me uh, because they had read some of my nonfiction books about Marshall McLuhan. Anyways, one day I get some email and they say, hey, guess what? Uh, I didn't know you ever recorded an album, but your album Twice Upon a Rhyme is listed here and, and praised uh, in our lost cult classic uh, column. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, there was one thing that was right about that description. The album had been lost. <laughs> and, uh, as we were just you know, talking about, the only people who had heard that album for decades were me, my wife, and our kids. And uh, you know, that, that caused psychological problems for years. <laughs> but anyway, the... Uh, well, you have good health insurance as a, as a firm prof. Exactly. So 
good thing about that. Uh, so, um, but then the album, you know, sort of began catching on, and uh, you know, and most importantly, really, uh, a record company in South Korea called uh, Korea called uh, uh, Beatball Records. They're sometimes known as Big Pink uh, Records. One is the publishing company, was a record company. They reissued it uh, in CD, and then a really cool guy by the name of Anthony Nyland in England remastered the whole thing, and this came out around 2010-2011. But what a lot of people didn't realize was I had a master plan back then in 1972, and it was to wait almost 50 years until my next album came out. Wasn't that a brilliant marketing strategy? (laughs) Absolutely. Make them wait. (laughs) Make them wait. So uh, what happened was, just about a year ago actually, uh, a a guy by the name of Chris Huizington, who lives in Buffalo, and he and his brother Anthony Huizington have a small record company called Old Bear Records. Uh, contacts me and said, hey, you know, I'm a fan of Twice Upon a Rhyme, and how about we record a new album with you, but rather than just songs in general, I know you're a science fiction writer, maybe you have written some songs in the style of Twice Upon a Rhyme, which is sort of like, you know, Love and Spoonful, Beatles, Circa, Rubber Soul, that kind of uh, musical feel. And, you know, but make them science fiction lyrics and we'll record a whole new album with you. So I said, oh yeah, I got plenty of songs. Uh, and actually, that was only partially true. I had a few songs. Now, one of the songs that I had, uh, and I'd written back also around 2000, 2001, was Alpha Centauri, which you just played. That song came to be uh, because right around then, my second uh, science fiction novel, published by Tor Books, is Borrowed Tides. It's about the first starship to Alpha Centauri, which only has enough fuel to get there. Uh, don't ask why they did it that way, but anyway, that's what the setup of the novel is. And so I had Alpha Centauri on my mind, and I wrote this lyric. And right around that time, I got back in touch with Peter Rosenthal, who was the guitar player on the 1972 Twice Upon a Rhyme album. And I said, hey, Pete, how you doing? Da, da, da. And I said, why don't we write some songs together? And I sent him Alpha Centauri. And a couple of other lyrics. So the song you're hearing is a song that uh, uh, Peter Rosenthal wrote the music for. I wrote the uh, lyric. Samantha is yet another uh, song which I scribbled down like a verse, I don't know, about five or ten years ago. And I had no idea what I was going to do with it. But I knew that I wanted on this new album to have some kind of alternate reality song, you know, love across alternate universes, Uh, because in addition to time travel, alternate reality is one of my favorite science fiction modes. And so what I did is I wrote the lyrics and the music to Samantha, uh, and it's basically, uh, as you just heard, a song about this love affair between two people from two different uh, dimensions. And we went out, my wife and I, to um, Batavia, New York, uh, late last October, early November, laid down a whole bunch of these tracks, 
and they're still in the process of being finally mixed. Uh, so I hope in the next month or two the uh, album will be released. The title of the album is Welcome Up, and that's yet another uh, song, which I, in the, in the case of Welcome Up, uh, I mentioned my wife, Tina. Well, when we were first going out, I one day was over her house, actually her parents' house, and I was sitting uh, you know, at her parents' piano, and I just began writing this song, Hiding behind a raindrop, shyly opening her sweet milk chocolate eyes. And, you know, a couple of, you know, additional lines. But it sometimes happens, you know, with all kinds of writing, whether it's, you know, songs, stories, even it could be a nonfiction book. Um, sometimes, you know, you start something and you just don't finish it. And so that song really just had a verse or two. Uh, and when I had this conversation last year with Chris Hoisington, and I said, hey, yeah, I got a whole bunch of science fiction songs, that song had been hanging around literally for decades. And Tina said, well, hey, you know, it's really sweet. You started writing a song about me 45 years ago. You know, don't you think it's time you finished it? So I said, yeah. So I did finish that song. And I think it's, you know, one of the best songs on, on the album. Uh, and so we entitled the whole album uh, Welcome Up. But I had a really great time uh, recording it. They have a really cool studio. Uh, some of your listeners may know about Batavia, New York. It's a, it, it, that whole town could be from some kind of alternate reality. It's just like up there and yes. upstairs. You know? I've and, been there. I've been there. And, and my question is, what took longer, the drive to Batavia or the actual <laughs> recording? That's that's a heck of a drive. You want to drive the entire length of the of, of the, the the New York ninety part of the New York Thruway? That would be where you would end up. Well, you're not kidding. You know, we're used to driving up to Cape Cod, and that on a good day could be four, four and a half hours. On a bad day, could be six hours. Uh, Batavia on a good day is like six to seven hours. So yeah, uh, the album took slightly longer to record, but uh, <laughs> not that much longer. I mean, but there's no doubt I could have written probably five more songs, you know, uh, you know, during the time uh, I, I was going up there. And I, I could have left New York with not enough songs to go on the album, and by the time we got to Batavia, I would have been all set with, with all the. Uh, songs um but chris uh who is uh you know the producer um with his brother anthony also does great harmony so a lot of the harmony you hear on those two tracks that's basically just chris hoisington overdubbing uh you know various parts uh, and uh you know i'm always up for good harmony in fact that's the way i first really got into music when i was in sixth grade I formed a group called Little Levy and the Emeralds, and uh, you know it was like a doo-wop group. <laughs> and I arranged all the harmony, uh, so I've always been, uh, you know, a sucker for good harmony. And, and there's a lot of that on the new album, and also on Twice Upon a Rhyme. That's awesome, and this is uh, hopefully coming out um, sometime in the next month or two. You heard it here first on WUSB Stony Brook. Paul Levinson, um, media professor at Fordham University, but also um, rock star. 
<laughs> and science fiction writer. And uh, yeah, I just I just love it. I, you know what I think of? I, there's two things that come to mind. When you talk about the Japan aspect of it, I, I think of uh, Spinal Tap, of course. Because how, how could you not? Mm-hmm. You know? And then the other thing is, um, I remember a story about uh, Jeff Lynne. Uh, writing the lyrics to one of um, ELOs, I, I think it might have been they were writing the lyrics to "Don't Bring Me Down" in the Don't in bring the car. Me down. Yeah, it, yeah. <laughs> I think they were writing that on the way to the studio. Yeah, <laughs> and wow. it shows. But <laughs> I, think, yeah. I think that's the story to that song. But uh, yeah, I can, you know, um, it just like evokes a simpler time. <laughs> you know, it it's does. A, I have to say, Jeff Lynne has uh, always been one of my all-time favorites you know in fact uh, we went out to see him uh, in the uh, Prudential Center in Newark just you know a couple of weeks ago how, how and, was know, that show how was oh, it, I mean it, it was absolutely fabulous because you know what happens is you know a lot of these guys who've been around for a while and women and groups uh, you know they're okay you know they, they it, it's fun to see them you know when they sing their songs they don't hit some of the high notes and you know you're missing some of the even though they might have a good background group that you've heard on the original record. Well, I mean, Jeff Lynne always was a perfectionist, and he always had a clear sense of, of what he wanted to do. This was one of the best uh, concerts uh, we've ever been to. I mean, Lynne's voice, uh, first of all, was in great shape. He had all the notes. The harmony was fabulous. The, the, the background groups were great. And as a special treat... Uh, Danny Harrison, uh, George Harrison's son, who, you know, I first, I never met him, but I first came to know him. If, if you look on YouTube at the uh, uh, videos that were made from the concerts for George. Yes, you, you yes. See Danny, he's you know, pretty much a kid playing guitar. Isn't that, but, the, isn't that the concert where Prince... Yes. Totally shreds it. Yes, and like just, con- just like sets the place on fire and like <laughs> rises so high above all the giants on stage with him. And then you, I just was waiting for everybody to like bow down before Prince and say not worthy when he when he hit that. Right? Didn't he like jump into the crowd at one point? Yes. Well, he was he, part of his routine was fabulous. He he is playing with his back to the crowd and he falls back into oh the crowd. God. But it, obviously there was somebody there ready to to push him back up so but it was a it was a brand stick but you're right about his guitar playing that is the most brain guitar work i've ever heard on any video i mean you're completely right he ripped everything uh to shreds and there are actually two concerts uh that might have been like the hall of fame concert yeah. uh, i think danny was at both of them but uh, and he looks just like George. He looks just like George, and he looks even more like George now. Wow! Uh, and he, he did two things at this concert. First, he did a set of his own nine songs, which were really good. I mean, you know, I, we didn't know any of them, and obviously everyone was there to hear. You know, don't l- let me down, I, and I can't it's get Sanity. it out of my head. Sanity. You know, all these great uh, yellow songs. Sanity. But uh, but but Danny's songs were excellent, and then. Uh, a real treat. Just think about this. They do handle with care. Oh my God! With Danny doing George Harrison's uh, part, and wow! I mean, wow. He, he sounded just as good as his father, and uh, it, it was just a real uh, pleasure. And you know, uh, apropos of alternate universes, uh, you know, Jeff Lynne sort of partakes in that because. As you know, most people know, he was the one who produced those t- 
two Beatle uh, recordings yep. in, in the mid-90s, right? Um, Free as a Bird. Right, and, the little cassette that that's right. found of John. Yep. That's right, and it's, and, it, and it's real love. And, you know, obviously it's the, it's the Beatles singing it. It's, it's Lennon's voice. I mean, there might be a little Jeff Lynn in there, too. But, but there's, there's some Jeff in that, because I, I hear, like, the rhythm section behind it's like, well, I hear, I hear John Lennon, but this is an ELO song. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, so I mean, he he really is a genius. John Lennon, in a uh, in an interview with Dennis Elsus, who is now actually a, a disc jockey at WFUV FM, sort of the sister station to WUSB, you know, great college radio station. Little, little sister, little sister. Yeah. Um, uh, but back, I think in 1974, Elsus, when he was just a, a kid, he was just starting out. But he 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 had uh, John Lennon come down to WNEW FM, and they did a great interview and Lennon says then you know when uh, Dan says you know have you heard ELO and Lennon says yeah they're great and they're son of the Beatles and you know so there's Lennon recognizing this this very uh, powerful connection I'll tell you something else about uh, Jeff Lynn, which I didn't know he was born in 1947 same year I was born so wow you know, yeah we have that uh, you know that connection um, so if Jeff does a tour uh, next year, maybe uh, you guys can open for him. <laughs> Are you kidding? I would do it at a heartbeat. <laughs> and, and they'd come on and do some harmony facts to Jeff's, Absolutely. <laughs> to Jeff's performing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I tell you, um, the thing about Jeff is and uh, you know it's, it's a shame you don't have Captain Rocket here. Captain Rocket did a back when before Captain Rocket moved to he actually moved up to Batavia area, believe it or not. Uh. But he used to do like an oldies type show here, and he would do theme shows, and, and he did an ELO theme show. And one of the things that we talked about when we were talking about Jeff Lynn, you know, was that his voice sounds so good today because because the yeah. dude is the dude's getting on the old side a little bit, you know? Well, I, mean, I know exactly how old he is. He's my age. I, I still feel like I'm 17, but... Uh, yeah. But absolutely. So, yeah, well, but he, he did all the production and he did the studio work after ELO folded up, so he didn't do a lot of touring and stuff, so his voice is still fresh and young. That's right. You know, he took a couple of years off and, and, I mean, there was, when he released the album Zoom, there was supposed to be a tour for that, and that just that just flopped. You know, they weren't selling any tickets, so they canceled the tour. But this this latest stuff, I think, is the timing is right. It started off with um, a concert in Hyde Park in the UK, and you can see that concert on YouTube. That's right. It's exactly. an amazing That's concert, right. and what you're getting basically is um, something close to to that. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I'm sorry, I didn't. I never saw any of those Zoom uh, things in person. There are there are plenty of uh, videos of, of that concert too, and I can't quite remember her name. He, he had a beautiful woman with long yes. blonde hair who was standing next to him, and she does a great job. Uh, I think he was also. dating her back then. <laughs> I think he was. I think it was maybe Rosa or something. I'm not sure, yeah. but I think she comes from Texas. But yeah, and you know. The, I'll tell you something else, you know, because I, I look into these things. Uh, you know, I mentioned uh, it was always one of my favorites, an early ELO song, you know, I Can't Get It Out of My Head. Oh, I love that one. Yeah, it's such a beautiful song. And I watched an early video. This is, would have been like, you know, 1974, 1975. Not only is Jeff Lynn singing the song beautifully today, 
I mean, if anything, his voice sounds better. It's in the same exact key as back in the 1970s. And again, yeah. you don't find that uh, too often either. Usually, you know, uh, honestly, when I sing some of the songs from Twice Upon a Rhyme, I have to lower the key a little bit because, you know, not that I ever had that great a voice, but I just can't quite hit some of those high notes. Um, but boy, I mean, Lynn, uh, you know, he, he really is, you know, still is in good shape. And I'll tell you something else about ELO. Um, you know, just obviously, uh, you know, a question of personal taste. The the original ELO group obviously was, you know, all guys, a, including the people who played the violins and, you know, the, you know, the classical stuff. Um, and, and that was okay, and it was even interesting, but now it's a much more diverse group. You know, you have men, you have women, you have people of all ages. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, I, I didn't see him at the concert, and I can't remember this guy's name either, maybe you will. The original keyboard player still shows up from time to time, and um, he is excellent. Um, it's maybe not Richard or something is his name. Richard right? Tandy. Richard yeah, Tandy. that's right. Yep. That's it, yep. I was going to say Bev Bevan, but Bev Bevan is the drummer. That's right. Yeah, he's very good, too, Bev Bevan. They have a new drummer who's a powerhouse, uh, though, um, who's great. So, but the yeah. songs, yeah, the songs are so classic and so listenable. Oh, man. Uh, but, yeah, I tell you something. If I'll, I'll, I'll see if I have time at the end of the show. Um to call up that uh, concert for George, um, and maybe yeah. I could play that out on the air because that's something spectacular. But if I can't do that, uh, if you just Google search a concert for George and maybe add to the sentence Prince Shredding, <laughs> it'll take you to the right video and you will see what Paul and I are talking about. It really is something amazing. Most of you probably who are listening are probably familiar with it already, but it's just an incredible thing. And uh, yeah, I'm so glad you went to that to that show. Though I'm hearing I'm hearing Jeff is like really burning it up and 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 good for him you know i felt yeah, i felt sad when the zoom tour was canceled they just did that i think what were you referring to when you're seeing the concert you, they, he did like a pbs special okay and and that's where you saw the that that beautiful blonde woman which right. was obviously um <laughs> inspired him inspired him to uh to do another album because he was just happy producing and he got to work with all his heroes i mean he worked with 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 george you know post posthumously he worked with john um i i think i think mccartney showed yes up in, in the late the, 90s i think uh, what, yeah. I, I can't think of the name of the album but he did an album in, in the late 90s uh with, with mccartney mccartney is I read something McCartney said, you know, about Jeff Lynne that when McCartney was first approached to do the uh, "It's Real Love, Free as a Bird" uh, project, he was skeptical because he knew, and obviously, who didn't know about the Traveling Wilburys, and he knew about the close relationship that Jeff Lynne uh, had with George Harrison. So McCartney was a little reticent about going into the studio with Jeff Lynne producing, but he decided to do it, and he was so impressed with uh, the way Jeff Lynne worked that uh, he was happy to have Jeff Lynne produce uh, one of his albums a few year years later. Jeff Lynne also, uh, you probably know this, I don't know if your listeners do, produced and co-wrote some of Tom Petty's greatest songs. Yes! I Won't yes. Back Down, Free Falling, yes. I mean, and I always loved those songs, and I didn't know that Jeff Lynne had anything to do with it, but it's not surprising me, and those are among Tom Petty's, you know, best songs. Yeah, no, abs absolutely. And uh, one more note on McCartney. Um, I think ELO um, did a Grammy appearance or a Grammy concert a few years ago, 
and McCartney was in the audience, and he was like, uh, I think they were doing Turn to Stone or Don't Bring Me Down or something, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and McCartney was like jumping up and down and, and singing along, and then the camera moved away, and I'm like, no, just keep the camera on McCartney <laughs> the whole time, because he's singing ELO songs along with Jeff. I mean, it's like, it must have been, because Jeff is a huge fan of the Beatles, and, and, to, right. and to achieve that professional uh, level where these are no longer the guys you look well every i mean who could you could never not look up to the beatles um but that he was working side by side with them must have been extremely creatively gratifying to him and he always as as just a fan he always seemed to be a decent you know centered person but yeah good for jeff living, yeah absolutely. living the life you know i love it it is one thirty-two, and you're listening to the Electric Light Orchestra Fan Club with the president, <laughs> Paul Levinson, and the vice president, <laughs> Captain Phil, here at WUSB Stony Brook. Paul, before we get depressed and start to talk about uh, politics and stuff, um, I believe you have a new book out. Uh, let us know what's going on with that. Well, I'm glad you asked. So there's a story behind everything, and the name of the new book is Robinson Calculator. And here is the, this part is 100% true. And it begins a couple of years ago, literally just a couple of years ago, uh, in, in Jewish custom, uh, after, you know, God forbid a person dies and they're laid to rest, you know, in a cemetery, uh, a year later, there's something that takes place that's called an unveiling. And uh, the reason that's called that is there's a drape over the, the tombstone, and then at the unveiling, the drape is removed. And, you know, like most customs, I have no idea why or how this started. I think it's just so, you know, it's one thing when you go to a funeral and everyone is so understandably so upset and if you know the person, you know, even heartbroken, but about a year later, you have a little bit more of a perspective, you know, on life and just the passage of time. Okay, so we're at this unveiling at a uh, Westchester uh, cemetery. I won't say which one it is. And, the cer you know, the, the, the ceremony is over, and everyone is beginning to slowly walk back to their cars. And Tina and I are walking back to our car, and as we're walking, like, I do a double take. And why am I doing a double take? Because there is a tombstone there that says, the name on the tombstone is Robinson Calculator. Now, I guess, you know, most people in this world would see that and say, okay, you know, but in my demented mind, at that instant, it just popped into my head. Who would be named Robinson Calculator? It sounds to me like this could be some kind of android but or, or a robot. But if that's the case, would they be so you know blatant as to not only bury someone in a public ceremony, but put their name right there on a tombstone so everyone could see it? <clears throat> and at that instant, I realized, okay, this is, there's a deep uh, story here. And uh, I won't say that much uh, more about the story, except uh, that, you know, I, you, know, it, you know, the various things I'm fascinated in, we've talked about time travel, I mentioned, um, you know, alternate uh, history. 
Um, but I've also been always fascinated uh, ever since I was a kid, you know, through Isaac Asimov's robot stories and, you know, everything on television up to and including now the continuing uh, Westworld series uh, in androids and uh, robots. I mean, they raise all kinds of interesting questions. If, for example, we have invented them, and we make them so sentient because we want them to be, you know, more effective in the tasks that they do for us. At what point are we um, basically moving from a position where, hey, we can drive our car, however, quote, smart, unquote, our car is any place we please. Nobody would say we're mistreating the car as a sentient being. But it, but if somehow, you know, the car or anything got so uh, intelligent, at what point are we now acting as lords over slaves of sentient uh, beings? So as a philosophical question, I've actually dealt with that in some of my, um, you know, nonfiction over the years. In fact, I... I had a piece published in uh, a now a story of my life, a now defunct magazine called Shift Magazine. It was sort of the Canadian version of Wired back in the late 1990s, cool. and it was called the Civil Rights of Robots. And you know what I was trying to get at there: at what point are, are we suddenly now doing something that's ethically, uh, you know? very, very uh, objectionable. Uh, and so, but there's also a lot of fun uh, in Robinson Calculator and, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, unsurprisingly, the protagonist and these, you know, my protagonists are always one or another version of me. Uh, has a romantic relationship going uh, with a woman who is a, a calculator herself. So, uh, it, it also, I should say, if you like New York ambiences, this really takes place in real places in New York, in real New York restaurants. There's an important scene in the New York Public Library. Where, by the way, I used to work years ago, the one on 42nd Street, so I know the inside of that library very well. There are scenes there. So it's it's called Robinson Calculator. You can get it now on Amazon. But let me also mention, as long as we're talking about my science fiction, I have a new story that will be coming out probably in the next week or two or three in the new issue of Amazing Stories, uh, which has already published two of my stories uh, in the past. Uh, it published Slipping Time last year, and then a few months ago, uh, it uh, it published the Weather app, W H E T H E R app. But in the new issue, which is sort of the anniversary uh, issue, marking the the first year after Anil, uh, Asimov. <laughs> Amazing stories, triumphant return. Uh, they are uh, publishing a great issue, all kinds of, of uh, excellent authors and stories in there. And I was very, I'm very happy to have one of my stories, the P and A, included in there. And just to give you the setup of that, this is about somebody who gets a new car and it has all kinds of amazing anti-collision features. 
including one which when the uh, protagonist uh, is driving south on the Taconic, and I know you are someone who's yes. now upset, you, you need anti-collision features, especially south of 84. It's like a rainy day, yes. uh, a tree falls right in front of the car, and the anti-collision feature works just perfectly. Um, by yanking the car and the passenger into another reality. So, <laughs> yeah. If there was ever a reason to drive on the, on the Deconic Parkway, and I can't find any, that would be it. I would love to be avoiding collisions by going into an alternate reality. I know. I mean, that, I, look, some of those turns, we used to drive like a, a whale that's it, it was this huge station wagon it it, ha, it didn't even have front wheel drive and it, it was the most if you just had to make even a gradual turn it was like navigating a, a, a huge tugboat and um you know, the, the the most harrowing experiences were driving up and down the Taconic, especially when it was raining, you know, at these sharp turns. But and th in those days, there were no anti-collision features at all. So basically, it was, oof. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I, I avoid the Taconic when I come down because I, I live in Catskill temporarily and, we, and we're going to have a house in West Coxsackie, which is... Which is on the west side of the Hudson right. River, so you you need to go. I mean, but I have to cross over to come to Long Island to do my show and stuff. So my route of choice would be the throughway, either to the Tappan Sea Bridge or to the Newburgh Bridge, to uh, two eighty seven or eighty four to ninety five and the Throgs Neck to get to Long Island. My GPS wants me to go on the ta the uh, Taconic Parkway all the time, and I refuse to do so. <laughs> But perhaps my GPS is trying to push me into an alternate reality, which in which case may be... It, it might be worth it, but you should read yeah. the story first uh, <laughs> See what happens. before you decide if it's really worth it. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, you, look, the important principle is don't always follow your GPS because you might want to live, you know? <laughs> and that's in what issue of Amazing Stories, Paul? I, I wish I knew it. I don't. I don't have the number in front of me. It's the issue that's literally coming out this ah. month. Ah, okay. So it's you know it's the it's it's something one whatever the year number is, but uh, but the amazing stories came back literally last August with its first issue in about ten years in print, and you know it's uh, been doing great, and now here it is celebrating its first issue with the anniversary issue. And you can track all of Paul Levinson's books and music and uh, and trips into alternate realities by going to his website, which is? Well, paullev.com. P-A-U-L-L-E-V.com. And, um, yeah, and, and just to touch on Robinson Calculator for one second here, um, much catchier title than Adam Link, right? <laughs> <laughs> And evocative, even though it's, I don't think it's a robot story, because I don't think I ever made it through the entire reading of it. It kind of reminds me of uh, Hugo Gernsback's Ralph to 
4C41+. Yes, that's right. Um, evocative of that, um, although I don't recommend you read it, but if you if you want to punish somebody, but <laughs> whatever. But yeah, I like I like the title, Robinson Calculator. It's got, I mean, um, yeah, I haven't read it, but it's, it's got that steampunk um, flavor to the title of it. I like it. I like it a lot. You know, Thank so you. very nice. Um, yes, yeah, so you'll want to check uh, Paul out there. And uh, but now um, this is Chris Sorochin's program, and uh, and we touch on politics. And uh, Paul, um, let's let's shift gears a little bit. People are tuning in to get all revved up and excited about voting in 2020. Um, you know, actually, before we really get into it, when the 2016 election happened, there were a lot of New York voters who were disenfranchised because they had signed up to be independents and they were locked out of voting in the Democratic primary. <laughs> and and there was a lot of people who were who were, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters and they found that they couldn't vote. Is it a good idea for young voters um, to pick a party even if they don't agree with the two party system? Yes, it definitely is for the very reason you're talking about. And look, you know, ever since I've been a kid, even here in New York, you know, we think of ourselves, hey, New York is such a progressive state, you know, New York and California. I'll never forget one, one year Tina and I, you know, came back from summer vacation. There was uh, an election coming up in November, I, and in my mailbox I said, hey, you know, you changed your address. You know, in those days there wasn't email. You, you have to go to the, uh, whatever is the local, you know, voting place and register this change of address. But there was one problem. We were away for three weeks. The, the, the letter had come, like the day that we left, and, we, and, and on the letter it said you had to come into the you know, uh, station by August 28th, and I'm you know, looking at the letter the day we get home. It's August 29th. So I go to the station the next day, uh, and basically you know, I have all my proper credentials, and I say, well, sorry, it's too late. So I said, you're going to deprive me of the vote? Well, there's nothing we can do about it. And I sat there and I argued with them. I, you know, I already uh, had a PhD. In fact, I just earned it. So when they called me Mr. Levinson, I corrected them. I said, excuse me, it's Dr. Levinson. That only made it worse. You know, so uh, I remember I got a lesson, you know, way back then, you know, that uh, you, you would think in general that the government would encourage people to vote. Instead, they're always worried that somebody is taking advantage, that they're not supposed to vote. I mean, the Republicans, as we know, are especially good at this in suppressing votes. But the Democrats, you know, maybe now they're a little better, but in the past they haven't been any great shakes either. So, yeah, you raise a very important point. The safest way to protect your right to vote uh, is indeed to register with one of the uh, parties. You, you also get the advantage, if you register with the Democrats, of having a say in who gets the nomination. If you're an independent, you don't get any say at all. So, uh, or, or in most states, you don't. So, yeah, I think it's, it's good. And, I mean, it goes to the philosophy of, of, you know, both sides are equally bad, therefore I will rebel and punish them by not choosing a party. And you're honestly just punishing yourself, even if you even if you see fault in both parties. I think the false party narrative, the both parties are equally bad narrative, is a false narrative. Myself, I think 
I think the Democrats have problems, but they are minor leaguers compared <laughs> to the Republicans who have brought, uh, you know, disenfranchisement, you know, and and criminal activity to a high art <laughs> in the last couple of decades. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, Winston Churchill said about democracy in general, it's the least worst system of government. And you could say about the Democratic Party, it's the least worst political party. Yeah. So, you know, they, they have a lot of problems, but uh, they're day and night compared to what the Republicans have been doing. Although um, I find it interesting that we tend, especially my Facebook friends, tend to get all revved up over the huge amount of Democratic um, people running in the primary. But by the time they get to New York State, we could be down to like two or three. Yeah, <laughs> you that's, know? that's true. So I, I, I mean, I'm assuming one of them is going to be Biden, you know. Yeah, I am too. I'm really hoping it's a person of color, a person with a, with a, with, you know, with a different sexual orientation mm -hmm. um, or, or, or a person of color or, or a woman, you know. I'm yeah. really hoping that's in the mix because I think those people, those you know, out out in the country, I think that's a better reflection of the country, and I think the Democrats will bring more people in, whether they're on you know the the the, the president ticket or the vice president ticket ticket. Yeah, I, I, that's right. Well, I don't know if you saw today the the latest uh, um, counting of the people who have qualified uh, for the mid September next uh, Democratic debates, uh, and at this point, it's eight people and of course Biden is up there but um, there are there are three women in there you know th three excellent women you know it's Kamala Harris uh, Elizabeth Warren and I think just yesterday or early today Amy Klobuchar uh, qualified so uh, I was very happy to see that I mean I should point out here you know I, I, we may have talked about this before but I, I always like making this point you know th there are almost an endless number of reasons that you can ascribe to how Trump managed to, to get in the White House, r ranging from, you, you know, the Russians were so successful at hacking that they actually changed votes in the Midwestern states, uh, to, you know, Hillary didn't campaign enough there, to James Comey shouldn't have, have opened his mouth, uh, you know, just literally a couple of weeks before the election, with the idiotic point that the, the investigation into her email had been reopened, and then a a couple of weeks later, he says, no, that we didn't find anything. So there are all kinds of reasons. But I've always thought that, that you know, if you had to find the central reason, um, and, and for all I know, all those played some kind of role. But I think the central reason is that people in those Midwest states, you know, Pennsylvania, Ohio, you know, you can just, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan, we all know what they are. Uh Unfortunately, um, you know, I think not due to Russian hacking, not due to propaganda on Facebook, uh, not due to any of those reasons, they just made a really bad decision. Uh, and, you know, there's been a lot of analysis and, you know, it's, it's, it's disturbing, but I think we need to learn from it that in particular, uh, there was a much lower African turnout in all of those uh, states uh, and in the big cities in all of those states than there had been in 2012 and 2008 when Obama carried those states. 
Now, you know, it's the wisdom of hindsight. You know, maybe, you know, uh, people in those communities didn't really much care to go out to vote because it wasn't an African-American on the ticket, and they were sure Hillary was going to win, as most people were anyway. So, you know, who knows what the reasons were. But because of that analysis... Uh, I think that what the Democrats need to do is get people on the ticket who will excite people in those states, the people who voted for Obama in 2008 and 2012, who either didn't go to the polls in 2016 or horrendously went to the polls and voted for Trump. Get, Get you know, enough of those people to come back to the uh, Democratic Party and vote. And if that happens, I think we'll be okay. I mean, the Democrats are going to win, you know, New York and California and New Jersey anyway. But, uh, and there's even a chance we may win Texas. But, uh, but those Midwestern states are, are really crucial in this crazy electoral college system that we have that that should be abolished but that's not going to happen in in time for 2020 or or if ever because if the party is in power who is in power got there because of the electoral college i think the last thing they want to do is change that yeah yeah that's right um you know i i Biden, uh, I thought, was considerably better in this debate uh, than the uh, last debate. But, uh, you know, I heard somebody make the point, and it's a true point, Trump was atrocious in the debates. No one thought Trump did well in any of of the debates he had with Hillary. And yet he's in the White House anyway. So it's, you know... And listen, I I teach this in my you know communication and media studies classes. We you know it's it's now basically so deeply ingrained into our culture that John F. Kennedy uh, won the nineteen sixty election because in this new age of television back then he did so much better than Nixon. He looked so much better than Nixon in, that, in those nineteen sixty debates. Um, Maybe, you know, you never know why people vote or not. Maybe it was just that, uh, you know, people were tired of Republicans because Eisenhower had been in office for eight years. I mean, this is what the problem is. But I do tend to think that we give too much uh, attention to the debates. And Lawrence O'Donnell made an important point, which I agree with completely, just last night on his show. He said, you know, he's had experiences, experience with how presidents make decisions, because, you know, he would go to the president's office when he was, you know, Senator Moynihan's uh, assistant back then. And and basically, you know, the uh, presidents take their time when they make decisions. They consult uh, their staff. Uh, That is day and night uh, compared to what you see in these debates with 10 people up on the stage. You have to give quick answers. You cut off before you even get a couple of words out of your mouth. I mean, you know, if if I was teaching a class and somebody basically cut me off after a minute or 30 seconds or whatever it was, I couldn't teach a class. That, that way, I couldn't get any important points out there. In other words, the soundbite is just too short. So, you know, as far as Biden's performance, I do think he'll do better, and, and, and it'll be a more realistic debate when there are fewer people up there, and he has a chance to get some of his uh, points across. In the first debate, 
he was his own worst enemy because you know he, he some you know Pamela Harris would make a point he would start answering say okay but I said enough I mean because he was obviously counseled don't talk so much you know because you don't want to appear like you you know you're uh, you're a motor mouth which to some extent he is so uh, I think that these debates you know I. I I wouldn't want to not have them, but I think we sometimes tend to accord them too much importance. Although I have to say, it's I feel it's 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 interesting and, and helpful that the Democrats, and this is why I like the huge field of Democrats. People are saying, "Oh, there's, there's too many. There's, you know, it's confusing. It's too many." But there are real issues that are affecting real people being put out by these debates. I mean, the issue of health care, the, you know, universal health care, Medicare for all, uh, these things, and they don't get discussed um, in other yeah. places. So, I mean, there are a lot of people running, and I have to tell you something. I have a delicious fantasy in my mind of a pres- presidential debate between not that I'm not that this is who I would support but I would just love to see it um with Trump going up against uh, Kamala Harris. Yep. You know, the way he was stalking Hillary during the 2016 election pacing behind her making faces doing this yep. this male imitation thing. I just have a vision of Kamala like turning around and punching him in the nose and saying, you know, stay on your right. side of the stage you racist, you know. That'll be, <laughs> I really that'll would be love wonderful. to see that. <laughs> yeah, she went by a landslide if she did that. <laughs> but, uh, I just want to say though about about healthcare. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because this is like one of my you know peeves. Um, just to let everyone know where I'm coming from, I, I don't like insurance. I never like any insurance companies. Uh, you know, years ago uh, we bought a new car, and like six months uh, down the road, literally and figuratively, the engine just died and like you know it was like you know turned into a smoking mess i'll never forget i called up the insurance company our agent and he says well tell me the truth dr levinson were you drinking a little bit when you were driving so, so I said, what is, I said, no, and what does that have to do with the uh, engine? And I think maybe I should speak to your superior. And then, you know, I got someone with, with, with all kinds of abject apologies. But, if, if, you know, what was said in the past uh, debate, just the other insurance companies, is completely true. Uh, you know, and several of the candidates had made this point. It, it's completely true that insurance companies are in the business of maximizing their profits which means maximizing their premiums but how do you maximize your profits it's it's two things first of all you maximize income or their premiums but second of all you pay out as little as possible and again it doesn't matter whether you're insuring a car whether you're, you have some kind of home insurance uh they're always slow and difficult to work with and frankly, when it comes to medical insurance, I, I think it's immoral. I mean, I think it's evil. You know, a, a company that's in business, they're making profit by trying to get as much money in as premiums. And then if you, your doctor prescribes a certain uh, medication for you, and then they give you a hard time. No, uh, we, we don't quite cover that medication. We'll cover this medication. What kind of insanity is that? They should cover every medication. And, you know, anyone, in, you know, who's had any need to go for, like, any, you know, sophisticated tests, you know, PET scans, CAT scans, you know, you, you have to get 
permission from the insurance company uh, and, and sometimes they think about it and you have to postpone your, your appointment so um, anyone who's had a deal with uh, this uh, you know health insurance complex uh, would naturally be very sympathetic to us just doing away completely with these private insurers and let the government take care of it even if it does cost a little more money I don't think that's going to happen though certainly not right away because I think you know people are understandably cautious if they're getting by with their uh, health insurance that's been provided to them because you know they're working for a company that, that has pretty good uh, health benefits yeah, yeah they're going to be wary of basically saying hey I, I want to let the government take care of it but in the long run uh, I, I think uh, the the ethical, humane thing to do is get private enterprise out of the health insurance business. And again, just to be clear, apropos Bernie versus Elizabeth Warren, I'm with Elizabeth Warren on this. I like capitalism. I, I, I don't think capitalism is immoral. I think it's fine. It, 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 so, for example, I'm an author. If a million people buy my books, I think it's great if I get a million dollars, you know, from that. There's nothing immoral about that. If people like my work, you know, or, you know, whatever my salary is as a professor, I don't feel guilty about getting that salary. You know, I work very hard as a professor. I think people should be paid for what they do, and it's fine to try to make as much money as possible, except if the business you are in is doing something like taking advantage of people who are ill. In that situation, I think capitalism doesn't work. It's not the best system. You, you need a more objective, not that what the government does is perfect. We know this. The government doesn't really do very well either in terms of what it regulates. But at least they're not, the government's not going to be trying to make as much money as possible. They're not going to be training people to say no when people come to them with health problems. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's 201 here at WUSB Stony Brook. That would be WUSB 90.1 FM and W297BM Stony Brook 107.3. You're listening to Paul Levinson, who is a socialist. We've just figured out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you'll want to check out his book, uh, Robin The Robinson's Calculator, and his album coming out. It's winning, winning up, right? Welcome. Welcome up. Welcome up. So there you go. I didn't have it in front of my face. Um, You know what it was? I was distracted because um, all I could hear were the bells go off my head because I was hearing the S word. You know, (laughs) it's like he's talking about socialism. I mean, why? And and, I mean, they've been throwing around the term uh, like it's a dirty word since the original, um, since since the uh, 1930s, you know. Um, Why? Why the effort to misdefine the word socialism, and why is it a bad word? Uh, and why do why why do some parties and some f- political philosophies want to make the idea of socialism uh, a dirty word and a bad thing? 
Well, first of all, just to be clear, I'm not a socialist. No, no, that was I was putting you <laughs> that on. That was yes. a joke. In case anybody. Yeah. No, I mean there are aspects of socialism that I like, but as far as uh, what I was saying is, as far as healthcare is concerned, I'm a socialist. Let me just say one other thing about healthcare. Everybody accepts the fact that the government, uh, supported by our taxes, should protect us from macro. Uh, events that can hurt us or kill us, r ranging from foreign attacks, ranging from serial killers, ranging from earthquakes, volcanoes, hurricanes, and so on. Those are macro events. So, for some reason, uh, not enough people recognize that the government should also protect us from micro events, literally viruses, bacteria, lethal cells. And uh, I would recommend a great book by William uh, McNeil, uh, and uh, it's called Plagues and People. And then he has another book called The Pursuit of Power. Both those books are good. They look at it in slightly different ways. But the gist of his uh, thesis, and he wrote these books 20, 30 years ago, is th that y human societies indeed have always been focused on both the macro dangers and the micro dangers. It's only our current society that doesn't seem to care about, about the micro dangers. So that's why when it, when it comes to health care, I, I think a socialistic approach is correct. I don't think it's correct for most other things. As to why it's become a dirty word, this is what these damn Republicans are, are good at. This is basically all they know. And, you know, while we're talking about this, I would highly recommend it's chilling, but I would highly recommend The Loudest Voice, which is a, a limited series now being shown on Showtime. Yeah, I think I caught a couple of those yeah. when I was in. I think, where was I? I might have been actually at ReaderCon, and I, and I might have caught that um, on the hotel TV, but that was intense. It's incredibly intense, and it's about Roger Ailes, and uh, he had a sick genius for you know being able to twist things, uh, and and you know he, he he I have no idea whether this is true or not. If you watch the series, you know according at least to the series, it was Roger Ailes who put the idea into Trump's head to run for president. Whether that's true or not, I have no idea. But but he did an enormous amount of damage. He also to some extent was behind the Obama wasn't born in the United States movement, uh, and he also you know jumped right in there. Um, the, 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 re the reason that the Republicans do that, I think, is that they basically can only win by lying. Because if you think about why would any working person ever in his or her life vote for a Republican? Who, what kind of working person in her or his right mind would ever, ever vote for a Republican? The answer is when they're lied to and somehow they're convinced that somehow the, the, the Democrats slash socialists want to take something away from them. History shows Democrats have been the ones who've made things better for workers. But, you know, the, the lie that somehow the Democrats are socialist, it begins, you know, as you said, back in the 1930s, the, the Soviet Union becomes one of the uh, boogeymen uh, f with due cause in the United States. I mean, it's actually debatable who was worse, Stalin or Hitler. That's how bad uh, Stalin was. You know, he killed millions and millions of people. 
But what's lost, of course, uh, by the Republicans deliberately, is that uh, the Soviet Union was far more than socialist. They, they were a communist dictatorship, and actually their workers didn't do too well at all. I mean, in a way, they were acting the way Republicans act. They, they talked a lot about making life good for the workers, but the average you know, life of a worker in the Soviet Union in the 60s, 70s, 80s was far worse than the average worker's life here in the United States or in any part of the Western world. And that's one of the reasons why uh, the Soviet Union collapsed, because eventually, you know, the people there couldn't take it. But because of the real evil that the Soviet Union was, the Republicans were able to sort of tie any kind of government program, you know, into socialism slash communism. You know, as you know, they opposed everything. They opposed Social Security. They were obviously wrong about that. They opposed Medicare. They were wrong about that. They they opposed Obamacare to the point of what the Republican-controlled Congress tried to appeal it. 25, 30 times. And, and fortunately, the Supreme Court, even with a Republican majority, you know, so far has, has turned uh, the, those attempts uh, away. But, but they all stem from the same thing. The, the only people who benefit from the Republicans are very wealthy people. And, and so if, if it were just left to the vicissitudes of democracy, the Republicans would lose every single election because there aren't that many rich people. There are far more people who are, you know, moderately wealthy, middle class, you know, and, and you know, below that. And all of those people, all of us vote. So the only way that Republicans can ever win is to successfully sell the lie that any kind of government program, uh, and certainly any kind of new government program, is going to hurt you, the working American. So what, what they had nonsense about Obamacare. You know, remember, uh, there are going to be panels that decide whether your grandma is going to live or not. Just complete nonsense. Utter nonsense. And, and yet they constantly, you know, put these things out. And, you know, frankly, you know, People say, oh, you know, Trump is an aberration even for the Republican Party. You know, i got to tell you, he's not that much of an aberration. It doesn't matter what issue you look at. Look at gun control, for example. I mean, it's totally insane, you know, what, what, what goes on here in the United States. And the only reason why it continues is that the Republicans, even well before Trump, blocked every attempt at sensible gun uh, control and sensible uh, gun reform. And, uh, you know, I, I was sad that uh, John Paul Stevens passed away a, a week or two ago. I mean, he, and he, as a former Supreme Court justice, one of the things he said is, hey, we're never going to have good gun control here in the United States. We're never going to have sensible policies unless we repeal the Second Amendment. And yeah, I would be in favor of that, but I don't think that's going to happen too easily either. But at least if the Democrats uh, got back in control of the Senate and, you know, the president, I think there's a good chance that could happen in 2020 and continue, uh, you know, control of the House of Representatives. Maybe, finally, 
we'll be able to, t to, to get these automatic and semi-automatic weapons off the street. And you know what? I don't care what they're called. Every time you talk about this in any forum and there's some kind of gun expert and you say, you know, automatic weapon, oh, excuse me, it's really a semi-automatic weapon. I, I don't care what, what the name is. They obviously shoot a lot of bullets and kill a lot of innocent people. And none of those should be in the hands of any American. I mean, if you're going out and you're hunting for a deer, you're not going to shoot the deer with a semi-automatic weapon, I yeah. hope. Quentin you know, Tarantino goes deer hunting, you know? Right. <laughs> yes. That's right. Yeah. So, anyway. but no, so. No, Absolutely you know, agreed. That, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah. So, I mean, this socialism thing, it's part of that lie. They, you know, on gun control, again, the Republicans lie. If you pass this legislation, the government's going to take all your guns away. No. No legislation has ever said that. What it basically talks about is background checks, getting uh, AK-47s off the street, you know, sensible things like that. But the Republicans, they, they exaggerate. They lie. And the problem is, it's not really a question of intelligence of the American voters. It's more a question of time. Mo most people don't have time to get into the issues, you know, as, as uh, you know, much as they should. And so, you know, a situation like that, a, a, a glittering generality, and this goes back, you know, one of the areas I've studied in, you know, my academic life has been propaganda. And, you know, the, the Nazis use this very well. You know, you, these glittering generalities, false associations, you know, all kinds of ways of not just blatantly lying, but almost making the lie look like it may have some truth. Those things can be very effective. And uh, the only remedy for that, ultimately, is for more people to get out and vote and frankly, vote the Republicans out of office. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, shy about saying I don't think there's such a thing as a good Republican here in 2019. I mean, maybe Jacob Javits in the 1960s, who was a Republican senator in New York, he was a pretty good Republican. But, I mean, you have to go pretty far back. I mean, obviously, Abraham Lincoln was a wonderful, you know, Republican. But, but now, uh, in the 21st century, they stand in the way of, of every good thing that needs to be done. They perpetuate all kinds of bad things. We're not going to get anywhere, you know, while we're on the subject is, you know, we're going to reach across the aisle, you know, on a bipartisan basis. Don't waste your time, is my advice. Elect those people out of office, then you don't have to reach across the aisle. It'll did, be less strenuous and you'll get more done. Did Biden say that? He might have said that. I don't know. Yeah, but. because cause for, for where I'm coming from, this is the party that took Obama's Supreme Court nomination away from him yeah, and stole right. it. That's and right. and they, this is the party that will have no trouble um, um, doing a Supreme Court nomination in an election year if it's a Republican president, uh, specifically Donald Trump. Yeah, well, this, you know, listen, it, with the wisdom of hindsight, you know, it's easy to find fault. I think Obama was a great president, but Obama should have at least gone to the Supreme Court on that issue, not allow Mitch McConnell to just not even let the, the nomination come to the floor. Is it I wrong? Mean, that, is it wrong to call him Moscow Mitch? 
<laughs> no, it's not wrong at all. <laughs> but, you know, there's a whole history of this, you know, the 2000 election, when the Supreme Court wrongly and Sandra Day O'Connor, who voted with this majority, the Republican majority, has said it's the one decision she now regrets. They vote in Bush v. Gore to not allow the recount in Florida. Had I been president, Bill Clinton was president then, uh, I would have said, okay, the Supreme Court has made this uh, decision, now let's see them enforce it. And uh, I would have sent down the National Guard and insist that there be a recount in Florida right now, because a presidential election uh, hung on that. And most legal scholars to this day think the Supreme Court didn't have the right to even make that decision. It was, it was, uh, it was basically directing a state court to do something, or, or a state to do something. And so much so that... Uh, uh, you know, in, in the actual decision, Scalia said this is just a one-time thing. We're not establishing a precedent. But in general, I think the Democrats have not been aggressive enough uh, with Republicans. Agreed. Uh, absolutely agreed um, with with that. Um, yeah, and I think also, I mean, just to put a little addendum on, on, on what you're saying. Well, first of all, we're talking with Paul Levinson here at WUSB Stony Brook. We're filling in for Chris Sorochin here. Captain Phil is here with you. And, uh, oh, and it's probably should say this is very important. The opinions expressed here are the opinions of the host of the show, Captain Phil Merkel, and his guest, Paul Levinson, and not of the station itself. So just putting that out there in case someone's dialing the number right now to... <laughs> <laughs> writing a letter to their editor. I um, hope they do. Yes, yes. And that's actually a very... Actually, register with a political party. I think the greatest thing, whether whether you're a conservative um, you know, or, or, or a flaming liberal... Um, it's not going to mean a thing if you ain't got that swing, and you got to choose. You got to choose, and that way you can actually vote in the primary. And I know, I know a lot of Bernie supporters were heartbroken in 2016. So, so register with a party. I even even turn your hold your nose <laughs> and register with a party because otherwise you're just hurting yourself. Um, but to add to what you said, I think also the attack on public education to keep the people working long, long hours. These slave wages were people have to work two or three jobs in order to keep a roof you know over their head and food on the table and then the dismantling of the public education system over the last couple of decades also leads to being able to control these simplistic ridiculous messages you know with the socialism and 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 uh, the kenyan you know actor and all this stuff um makes people more more in a position to to swallow this line and and to believe the party that wants to take away your health insurance is is the party you know that's taking care of you um, just by putting up these these false things and these fake things it's just it's just it's it's disturbing to watch Paul absolutely it is uh, let me though draw a distinction here and this gets back again to you know I'm a socialist for health care but not for you know most other things uh, you know I, I sort of hinted at this before. I don't see in this battle Facebook, Twitter, Amazon, and Google as the enemy. Uh, and, and for one really crucial reason, and you mentioned education, I do think that one very, very good thing that's happened as the social media and just in general internet uh, companies have grown into behemoths 
is that there is more information out there for people who want to be informed. You even mentioned earlier before, just Google, you know, concert for George, you know, Prince, uh, you know, guitar shredding, and you'll find, you know, the video. You know, Amazon has been in for a lot of criticism. There are people who are talking about breaking it up or whatever. I mean, I'm, I, I'm not 100% sure, you know, that I'm against that, but I'm certainly not someone who's pushing in favor of that because I think Amazon as it is uh, has been providing whatever their intentions are, an incredible, you know, number of services uh, just for people in general. For example, you know, I know this as an author, and I know a lot of authors aren't happy about this, and from a strictly monetary point of view as an author, it's not great, but it is excellent for people in the world at large. You know, a few years ago, Amazon began pushing its Kindle Unlimited program. What's that? You pay like some kind of fee, $100, like once a year. And as, as a result of that, you can download and read almost as many books as you want without paying anything for those books. You don't have to buy the books. Now, again, as an author, you know, this is not uh, the greatest for me. I mean, to give you an idea, I mean, Robinson Calculator, the Kindle edition, if somebody buys it right now, that's $2.99, not that much, you know, money at all. I, as an author, I make 70% of that. Uh, but if somebody uses Kindle Unlimited to read it, I'm lucky if I make 25 cents on that. So, you know, in terms of what I said before, I'd like to make as much money as possible. Kindle Unlimited is not good. But in terms of the world at large, what Amazon has done is it's in effect put libraries in people's hands for a relatively modest price. And I think they deserve uh, credit for that. And, you know, Facebook is yet a different story. Facebook is dead wrong when it sells private information, you know, to companies who want to use that for, to perfect their advertising. No doubt about that. But as far as Facebook being an open place where people are not charged to go on there, where people can get in touch with their friends and relatives and also easily read things, even though some of it is propaganda that the Russians put there. But there's also a lot of good stuff on Facebook. So uh, I, I think the way forward uh, in, ter in terms of you know my stated goal, defeating the Republicans, getting them out of office, getting a better world, is not by dismantling some of these very, very powerful resources for just information for the public if the public wants it. Yeah, very, very good. Um, Agreed. I although I have to say I think it's would be nice if Amazon paid taxes, something. You know. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I I find that to be a huge problem, and I think the people who work at Amazon need need to have some rights. They need to be able to like use use the bathroom when they need to and Absolutely. stuff like that. So I'd like to see some controls put over it. But honestly, Paul, I love Amazon. <laughs> You know, and if I read a story by Paul Levinson and I dig it, and I'm in front of my computer, and I, as I often am, um, I could go on Amazon and order three more books. And I and I do this with music all the time. I'll I'll like 
you know, hear about a band and and it, and the band strikes me, so I'll look them up. And uh, if I can't, I actually should probably order from the artist direct, but I don't often. You know, I don't. Sometimes you can't do that, or sometimes they're only doing digital downloads. But if I can go on Amazon, um, I can definitely find. Uh, if nothing else, I can find the discography, and if I see if the if the disc is out of print and the Amazon prices for out of print books and out of print CDs is astronomical, I'll just go to eBay or Discogs and get a better deal there. You know, but yep. it's so yep. simple to just do that, and uh, so I I like I like for there to be a way to 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 use that resource, and I and, and it's good, and I think it's and I think you're absolutely right. It's important to have like an entire library at your fingertips, um, but if those few items there got more in line with a more responsible company pay your taxes you know take care of your workers um i think they wouldn't have the bad rep that they have right now as far as facebook is concerned the way i i program my show is through facebook i mean i'm, I'm facebook messaging you when it's time to come on the air as i do all my guests because it's immediate it's right there it's a very quick thing i do a facebook event whenever i do any any radio shows and then it's a great way to concentrate and to contact like-minded people fans of the music i play fans of science fiction you know or or whatever's going on and it's even now that i live up in catskill i go on the catskill community facebook boards to see you know what's going on you know and what's what's going on in the town how does that town differ from the way it was on long island so it's it's a very useful thing you know, I think the thing that I don't need is for someone to go on their Facebook wall and say, you have to post not to repost my pictures. Right, yeah. <laughs> those fake those fake alerts is like kind of like a time suck, you know? No, I, know, I agree completely. And I agree with you about Amazon. I mean, on the tax thing, the, the tax, you know, Trump made a big deal. What else is new about reforming the tax law? What, what he did is he made it easier for corporations, huge corporations, not to pay any taxes and made it more difficult for the middle class and the lower class to, to uh, you know, uh, make ends meet because their tax burden, if anything, is worse under the new tax law. So what's needed is another overhaul of the tax law in which there's basically no way that a huge corporation can get by paying no taxes. What They, they get to do that now because there are still so many loopholes that major corporations and their high-priced lawyers and accountants can avail themselves of that, that you know they're not violating the current law. They're figuring out how they can work through the loopholes. Those loopholes have to be changed uh, once and for all. And as far as abuse to uh, workers, you're absolutely right about that. There should be certain things that uh, no uh, company or corporation can do vis-a-vis its workers, including better minimum wages, and including, you know, what you said about, you know, going to the bathroom. This goes back to the earliest days of technological media in the United States, when phones first became popular. You know, the phone was invented in 1876, but it took some decades before anyone other than a few rich people had phones in their homes. In fact, it wasn't until the 1950s that more than 50%, 50% of the Americans had phones in their homes, but the telephone operators were treated to horrendously inhumane conditions. They had to sit there at their tables, and, and you know, basically they were taking wires from one place and p- plugging them into another place, and uh, 
you know, they had to raise their hand if they had to relieve themselves, and often they they were not allowed to if there were a lot of calls coming in. So, I mean, that w- was uh, outrageous. And, uh, you know, I don't know exactly what's going on in, in these Amazon, uh, you know, places, but uh, there have to be minimum conditions that are a lot better than what we're hearing is the case just basic decency basic you know the, just just the basics and and the we and we've gotten out of touch with that because everybody thinks that we are all pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and we're going to like rise up the way these great corporate titans you know the head of google the head of facebook you know the head of uh, apple did you know they came from nothing and they you know it's like no i don't think it's like that i think you know <laughs> They started at a high level. They probably had a decent, you know, uh, upbringing. They had a decent education. And those are all advantages. And not everybody has the same advantages. And there should be just like a basic level of salary, basic level of, you know, dignity and and services. And, and yeah, you shouldn't have to choose, um, you know, (laughs) you shouldn't have to choose between being reprimanded at work and being able to relieve yourself. You know, it's... it's, it's, uh, it's weird to be exactly. talking about this in 2019. Yep. It really, it, it is. really is kind of. I'm, I'm having like, uh, I'm like, wait, what? Now I feel like I'm in an alternate universe. You know, I'm in the mirror universe. And suddenly, suddenly, everybody has a goatee beard. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, it doesn't have to be the word evil doesn't have to always go before corporations. There could be corporations out there who do the right thing, and and I think. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I may be wrong, um, but um, going back to a story I, I think I heard on 60 Minutes or on one of the news programs, um, Chobani Yogurt, where he hired a bunch of people who had immigrated and, and he drove them into the factory and he paid them a decent wage and he made sure, you know, and, and, and he ended up having the most loyal <laughs> employees ever. Well, you know something? I'm glad you mentioned that because I love Chobani yogurt. In fact, you know, they have like a low sugar variety now. Yep. It's delicious. It's good for you. And I'm happy to hear that the workers are. Uh, yeah, care I believe. I mean, I'm, I think I'm getting it right. I think, again, I should have Googled this before, but it just, <laughs> it just came, it just entered my mind right now where um, there was a group of uh, refugees and, and he had bought. Um, I think it was a craft factory, mm-hmm. and and he and he brought in the Greek yogurt, yogurt that my wife loves. There's there's that's in my fridge right now at home, um, and um, he brought in. He saw these people, you know, were struggling, and he says, "Well, look, I just opened up a factory, and I need workers, and I will drive you to the factory. I will that's arrange great. transportation. It's not somebody walking like for four hours just to get to work." And I'm like, you know, so that's what I'm saying is like. We we have this myth in our in our society where, you know, I work walked like eight hours to get to work to work for twelve hours and walked eight hours back to go home, you know, That's sort right. of thing, you know, and, and I had, I'm wearing like hand me down shoes and stuff. It it doesn't have to be like that. I think with a few basic uh, niceties and a few decencies, I think I think everybody can just get along. You know, I think it'd be yeah, I agree completely. Speaking of getting along, um, the ugly head of uh, racism, <laughs> believe it or not, has has come back. And there's been some strange stuff being tweeted um, by members of Congress and the president about um, where certain congresswomen are, are come from. 
<laughs> and yep, well. as far as I can tell, I think one comes from Brooklyn. <laughs> so they, you know, three of the four were born in the United States, and the fourth has been living here for a while. So, I mean, this is just... But again, this is what we were talking about before. When, when you scratch the surface uh, of just about any Republican, and I'm sure if some Republicans are hearing this, they're going to go ballistic. But basically, if you regularly vote Republican... Uh, there's no way that you're not a racist, you know, under the surface and even on the surface. Now that's, that's, you know what, I, you know, I'm I'm glad you said that. Again, the opinions expressed here are our opinions, but honestly, anybody who's still on this crazy train, (laughs) you know, and supporting this, I mean, how can we, how can we support this? Because I'm, I'm listening to this, I'm saying, well... Okay, he said this. He really said this, and 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 these these are this is something that's terribly racist and a wrong thing to say, and it's not true. Why are you supporting him? You know, I, I don't I don't understand it. So continue, Paul. Sorry. No, well, and this again, you know, after a while, you know, you, you get tired of talking about it, but it has to be said over and over again. This comes out of the Nazi handbook, you, you know, and just about each thing that Trump has done, I don't know whether he read Mein Kampf or what his uh, problem is, or he's just intrinsically... He read, he read the version. Classics Illustrated version of it. Yeah, right, read the comic book version. But I mean, because basically, I think we talked about this last time, one of the things that the Nazis did is denounce the free press in the Weimar Republic. They called it the Lugenpresse, which means the lying press. In fact, I wrote a book about this, Fake News in Real Context, in which I said the real danger of fake news is Trump's denunciation of legitimate news as fake news, because in that way he undermines people's confidence in the truth reporting, and again, there can be mistakes in what any media organization reports, but by and large, they do report uh, what's true. And and Trump, when he doesn't like that, basically tries to call them uh, the lying press or, or fake news. But another tactic right out of the Nazi handbook is marginalizing people uh, who don't look like what the ideal uh, human being is supposed to look at. The, you know, for, they're not like us. They're not entitled to the same protections that we are. They're taking away our jobs. They're taking away our government. Uh, and Trump from the get-go you know, he, he has wrongly, uh, you know, said that immigrants are taking jobs away from Americans. There's just no evidence of that at all. If anything, immigrants are doing work that Americans don't particularly want to do. Uh, and whether or not that's moral is another issue. But they're not taking away jobs that Americans are doing. But, you know, what, what happens, you know, with uh, people like Trump, and again, what happens... Uh, with Hitler is they start out you know nobody takes them all that seriously in fact a lot of people in Germany laughed at Hitler you know they thought he was crazy also but after a while you know when they begin getting more and more power uh, they begin enacting you know 
some policies. And there's no doubt in my mind that Trump could get away with it if he had the power today. He would just mass deport uh, both everyone on the squad, even though three of them were born in the United States and the fourth one has been here a long time, and anybody else that he you know, disagrees with. And, you know, again, this is why the 2020 election is so crucial. we got to get this guy out of office. And almost as important, or maybe even just as important, we have to get the Republicans out of power in the Senate. Get rid of Moscow, Mitch. I mean, I don't care if he's in the Senate, but if the Republicans don't have a majority in the Senate, he'll be deprived of his power. And um, But i got to tell you, you know, again, Going back to the 1930s, Hitler and the Nazis first achieved power. They had a parliamentary system in the Weimar Republic. So he didn't achieve 50%, but he achieved a pretty high percentage. And the people in Germany who saw Hitler for what he was pressured the German government and Hindenburg, who was president then, to insist on another election. And they got that. And in that other election, the Nazis didn't do quite as well as in the first election, but they did well enough that they were able to form a coalition government. And then within a year or two after that, the Nazis seized power. So, this, we had an election in 2016, got Trump in office. In 2018, we, people who believe in freedom and democracy, came back, we got the House of Representatives. But there's seriously unfinished business out there, and we have to put this to an end in 2020. Because if Nazi Germany is any indication, you don't get too many chances. And, you know, as of now, as far as I'm concerned, Trump is a Nazi. He may not, you know, uh, you know, say hi Hitler, but he has actually Nazi supporters. But everything he does is Nazi-like, and um, we, unless we get him out of office now and and take back the Senate, we're going to be in serious uh, trouble. I mean, one part of me um, thinks. He never wanted to be president in the first place. He was doing this, you know, just to raise his his level and 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 you know and then to make money um, when he was running. Because you know, but and I say to myself, is he saying more and more outrageous things because he doesn't want to be reelected? <laughs> you know, because he's done. Because it seems like the job is a little much for the guy. You know. You know what. People said he didn't really want to become president when he was running in the first place. He was just doing it for publicity so he could make more money. Maybe that was true. What I think is clear, and I understand this because, I, like, and you should understand this too, anyone who does anything in the public sphere knows what it's like to have that taste for public attention. But Trump makes you and me look like the most modest people in the universe because he has such a raging ego that uh, whether he even enjoys every aspect of the presence here or not is beside the point. He enjoys being out there. He enjoys being talked about. He doesn't care what the consequences are. I mean, I, I don't think he really cares that much about immigration or any of these things. He cares about himself. 
But that's what's so dangerous about him, because if he's able to say something that attracts attention and that got him elected in 2016, he's going to keep doing it. And someone like Moscow Mitch is going to make that real, going to help make that happen. He definitely doesn't have a problem hiring illegal immigrants. That's right. <laughs> you know? So he's, he's, he's just playing his crowd. He's, he's really... Playing them, I mean, I mean, the, the, I mean, we're going on a long time here, Paul. But, but I, in the back of my mind, I'm saying to myself, I was listening to him speak on the news today, or, or they were playing a recording of him at one of his rallies. He sounds like a preacher. He has like the timbre in his voice, and and you know the breath control, the the rising and lowering, um, you know, of the dynamics of his sentences. You know, they they taper off at the end. It's and it's 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 it sounds like. A Pentecostal preacher in some respects. I mean, the, probably yeah. the worst Pentecostal preacher ever, <laughs> you know, but right. but that's the vibe I'm getting from him, like a real Elmer Gantry sort of thing, you know? I mean, do you hear that? Yeah, I don't know whether Neil Diamond supports Trump. I hope he doesn't. But yeah, when I hear Trump talk, I hear Neil Diamond saying, yeah. Hey, brother, love yeah. salvage the charming man, man. Grab the old ladies and pick up the babies. Whatever. <laughs> yes. But so, yes, you're completely right. That, wow. That is, yeah. Wow. Let me say one other thing, though, you know, before we uh, conclude, because I just end on an optimistic note, you know, just a couple of weeks ago was the anniversary of the moon landing, and as you may not have ever talked about this before, getting out into space is one of my uh, g great uh, goals, N not me personally, although I wouldn't mind if they asked me, uh, but just the, get, doing anything possible to help the human race human species get off this planet and uh, apropos with what we were saying about Amazon and uh, and Facebook I, I, I just want to give creds to Elon Musk who hasn't been perfect in everything that he said or done but uh, he has a serious plan to get us back to the moon in two years and to Mars in four years and I just want to say I hope that happens by the way just a, another quick plug. I, ha I uh, edited a book with Michael Waltemoth called Touching the Face of the Cosmos on the Intersection of Space Travel and Religion. Apropos what you said, you know, just said about uh, Trump being uh, almost a televangelist, I think what's been missing in the movement to get out into space is touching base with this deep feeling that every sentient being has on Earth, which is what are we doing here in this universe? And, you know, religion at its best addresses that. Space can address it also, getting out into space. Absolutely agreed. Um, Paul, what would would Robert Heinlein like Elon Musk? Would those two hit it off? He seems yes. like Elon Musk walked right out of a Heinlein novel. He, yep, he would. He's a character in a Heinlein novel. Uh, absolutely yeah and and but i have to i have to say when the when the um tesla was in space yes and we saw i mean they were doing the bowie music and we saw you know the astronauts sitting in the car all i can think of the the prog rocker in me all i can think of is um the beginning of the movie heavy metal <laughs> with yeah. the, with the corvette and uh and yeah. uh, i believe uh 
Oh, I forget the name of the song now. I always do this. This always happens to me. Um, but I was wishing that song was playing instead, is what I'm yeah. trying to say. Yeah. Um, Although you can't go wrong with David Bowie. You can't go wrong with David Bowie, but a car in space belongs. <laughs> that, that whole imagery belongs Fair to enough. Heavy Metal magazine. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, you could even put up Bruce Springsteen's Pink Cadillac up there. Yeah, well, let's, let's not get crazy. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Paul... Paul Levinson, it's um, go on Amazon and and um, buy the actual books. Don't use your Kindle Unlimited. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the new book is Robinson Calculator, um, Stories in Amazing Stories magazine. Um, we have the new album coming out in, in a month or two. When it drops, uh, Paul, message me, please. I will. And let me know, and uh, and uh, we can work something out. It's harder to do fill-ins now that I live in Catskill. So this was a real gift from Chris that this worked out, that I was here this weekend, and uh, and I was able to... And a gift from you, my friend, because this was a last-minute thing. And, and uh, even, even even as we were, even as we were, like, preparing to go on... on um, uh, the DJ that was going to come from the f- for the twelve to one slot said, "Oh, your show sounds interesting. I'm going to uh, I'm going to go back home and let you do and let you have the extra hours. You know, let you, let you start at one o'clock. You know, instead of one thirty. And uh, that was just spectacular. I appreciate that so much um, because it I, gave I us a too. wonderful uh, a wonderful forum here to sit and talk and 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 maybe made you out there think a little bit." Maybe it made you angry. Maybe you know you. We were just the your echo chamber, and and you were hearing things that you already agreed with and you already believed. Whatever the case, register to vote. Vote. Vote early. Vote often. Make sure your vote is counted. And um, the enemy is not the other. The enemy is not a person of color. The enemy is not the person looking for sanctuary. The enemy is hate and ignorance. Absolutely. Absolutely right. And listen, I want, I want to thank you. You should fill in more often. You did a great job today. <laughs> I, well, I love this place. This, well, you know, you, 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 you work on a college campus. You know how, how exciting it is just to be here. I mean, when I was actually a student in college, it wasn't that exciting. It was actually really terrifying. <laughs> no, I, I, that's not, I would never be a student again. Yeah. If somebody doubled my salary and said, hey, Levinson, yes. doubling your salary, you be a student, I'd say, no thanks. I, we work with a lot of students here. The students actually run the station, and there were two students on right before me, and and God bless them, you know. Um, but I remember back, back. I believe it was the Jurassic <laughs> when I was a student. Like you know, we have like we have like a, a fossil in a, the admissions office building, mm-hmm. and I was there getting my radio station ID. There's some like you know fossil there in the middle of it, and I'm talking to the guys there, and and I said, you know, I went to school here back in 1981, and they're like, oh yes, yeah. like yeah, that thing had skin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just bones and had skin. That's good. Talk uh, about getting skin in the game. Yeah. <laughs> Paul, give me the website one more time so we, people can go directly to you. P-A-U-L-L-E-V dot com. It's all there. Beautiful. Um, and I agree. Let's uh, the, the 50th anniversary of the moon landing is just an incredible uh, way to end on it. And uh, I think we just need to keep moving forward and keep being positive. Paul, Thank you so much, my friend. Have a great day, and uh, as always, a pleasure. And please say hello to your wife, who I met at the last Rita Con. It was lovely to see her there. I will. Hold on. Hey, sweetie. 
Bill says hello. <laughs> okay. All right. We're off to see the new Quentin Tarantino movie, Once Upon oh. a Time in Hollywood. So I'll, I'll post a review of it later tonight. Definitely, definitely. Let me know what you think now that okay. now that we trashed him with the uh, <laughs> with, with that comment before. Yeah. Well, enjoy the movie, my friend. Thanks. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Light on Light Through podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. At least the part of the interview that was enjoyable. The Donald Trump part is the antithesis of enjoyable, but I hope it helped put certain issues in clearer focus for you. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I will be doing a podcast on what can best be done to reduce the horrendous killings, massacres of innocent people that are almost beginning to happen on a daily basis in the United States. So that will be coming up sometime in the next couple of weeks. In the meantime, I hope everything is going well for you. I'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Athens, 2042 AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Paul Levinson spilled code about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries. 